Special Agent Tricia Cannon with the Georgia Bureau of Investigations discusses some of the challenges in conducting an internet investigation. And then you know what some of them bastards want to do, Steve? They want to charge you for the legal process in some places. And it's like, no, oh, yeah. I don't think so. You know, there was a time. Yeah. One thing I wish that they would do is you're making the report that there's contraband on your side. Why don't you just give us all the information up front so we can actually move forward as soon as we get that tip? It's getting with a judge, going to that jurisdiction, and then sending it off, and then waiting six months at least to get the information back. We're like, it's a never-ending door. <laughs> and the whole time, the, the, child is be, the child is being exploited during that whole waiting process. Welcome to Game of Crimes. interweb out there. Welcome back to Game of Crimes. I'm Morgan Wright, and I'm here literally with my partner in crime. Steve Murphy, but you can call me Murph. You can call him the Murph Man, the Murph Man with the humidity. He's already bitching about moving to Florida, 95% at 10 o'clock in the morning, you uh, loser. That, that was at 6.30 a.m. <laughs> I, ain't, I ain't complaining, though. Not yet. Not yet. Wait till the bugs and everything start attacking you. Hey, but before we get into uh, dissing Murph for being the traitorous bastard he is and moving on me, let's just do some quick housekeeping real quick. Hey, everybody, we've been reading reviews. We've been seeing this stuff. Thank you guys so much for your kind comments. We really appreciate the support out there. Just head on over to Apple. You know, we're working really hard to earn five stars from you. So if you think we've earned it, go there, give it to us. Let us know what you think of the podcast. We really appreciate it. Also, head on over to our website, gameofcrimespodcast.com. We've got the episodes there. When there's pictures or videos, we put them there as well. Our mailing list, uh, any merch that's available is going to be over there. Also, follow us on social media, at Game of Crimes on the Twitter, Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook, and Game of Crimes Podcast on the Instagram. But where you really need to be this Christmas season mm-hmm. is patreon.com oh, yeah. slash Game of Crimes, because there's a big reason why. Because this episode is going to drop on Monday, December 20th, and on Wednesday, December 22nd, at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, <laughs> I, I was saying when we were saying it last time, it was 7%, you know, Mount Central. No, it's 8 p.m. Eastern, <laughs> 7 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. <clears throat> Mountain, 5 p.m. Pacific, you know, this current year. So it's December 22nd, 2021. We're going to be doing our live stream narcometer review of the greatest Christmas movie ever made, ever, Die Hard. Woohoo! That's right. We're going to have some fun. We're going to be doing it upright. And by the way, when we put out the poll, and it's free for everybody. This is our Christmas gift to you guys. This is our Patreon gift to you. Normally, you got to subscribe. You got to be a member of Patreon to hear this. But we decided, hey, we want you guys to have some fun. So we're going to put it out there. So head on over to patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. You're going to be able to see it on Facebook because we're going to do it live. And it will also be available for replay on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash Game of Crimes podcast. So head on over there. Also, if you like supporting us, just one off or just tossing some cash over the uh, fence there, just go to paypal.com. Use our email, Game of Crimes podcast at gmail.com or paypal.me slash Game of Crimes, whatever it makes it easier for you to support the show and for us to bring you more exciting content. Now, before we get into all the good stuff, this is a disclaimer. 
I don't know why we have to give a disclaimer. It sounds like it's just a fun thing to do. Why? Because this is a show about crime. We talk about bad people doing bad things and bad people doing bad things to good people. We take the story seriously. But we never, never, never take ourselves serious. And that's what makes it so much fun coming on Game of Crimes. That's right. And look, uh, speaking of, we don't, you know, we take the story seriously. That was a great story last week with Cheryl Nietzsche, Steve. I mean, just what, I mean, she's obviously not from Virginia, that, that (laughs) Boston accent, (laughs) law enforcement, but she is such a great, I mean, think about this. Think about her attitude, even after all these years, the will to survive, you know, just the lessons she's and her continued support for officers' rights, for victim rights. I mean, she put her money where her mouth is. She's helping at the boys' home, you know, she's help, and girls now, troubled kids. I mean, she is, her heart is definitely on her sleeve. It's out there for everybody to see. It is. She's, she's got that uh, warrior mentality that has carried over into life after being shot and almost killed. Holy cow, hers, her, uh, you know, I just don't know how I'd react if somebody tried to murder me like that. Point blank range, right in the face. God bless her. And for, had it not for been for the fact that she was bending her head down yep. to read that note at yep. that instant, instead of getting shot through the jaw, she would have been shot through the temple. And like we said, we wouldn't have had this. So, uh, and, but you know, Steve, again, it's just, per, it's one of those things you look at just from a professional standpoint. What's interesting is when we talk to Kevin uh, mm-hmm. Stevens, when we talk to Alex Collins, when we've talked to um, Joe Pierce when we talk to now Cheryl and Claudia and Claudia, all of these folks, when they got shot, they didn't no pain initially. I mean, you would think that you're, you know, all of these guys were focused on the mission, right. you know, and it's just what, I mean, just amazing stories, man. Amazing. Sometimes when I'm reloading my magazines, I hurt my thumb and a tear comes to my eye. And here these guys are shot multiple times <laughs> and they're moving right along. Yeah. That's why I bought myself my early Christmas present, you know, a couple week or a couple months ago at the gun show was a reloader for the, uh, <laughs> for the, uh, rifle and for the pistol. Why? Because yes, I was, my thumb was hurting. It was bruised. I said, I'm tired of this. I'm buying a oh, yeah. reloader. Well, you know, now I got arthritis in both my thumbs and it's just painful to reload those mags. <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you what, after I've got this one, now it's just zip and strip. You just run it into the, uh, um, the rounds you run it across the rounds, you pick up 10 at a time, put the top of it on and just push down on it. Nice. Boom. It, it loads it in seconds. Sweet. Well, Hey, but we're not doing an ad for that. We're doing an ad for <laughs> patreon.com slash game of crimes where you can find us December 22nd at 8 PM Eastern. When we do our narcometer review of the greatest Christmas movie ever made. And By the everyone. way, you know, Bruce, you know, somebody posted a meme here just a while back. They were saying, you know, uh, there's why Bruce uh, Willis, uh, you know, Bruce Willis keeps making movies because guess what? Old habits. Mm-hmm. Die, die hard. hard. Die hard. <laughs> hey, too, tell, every, tell everybody where they can find us one more time on December 22nd. Well, you can find us on facebook.com slash Game of Crimes podcast. We're going to be broadcasting. We are going to be live streaming, which means you're going to be able to put in your comments. We'll answer questions. We'll go for as long as you want to go, as long as it's not past, you know, 90 minutes, let's say, because Murph falls asleep about that time. We're going to have to prop him up. That's my bedtime. No question about it. (laughs) 930. 930. But that's okay. You get it. I mean, you sleep in now. You get the blue plate special and then, you know, and everything down there in Florida. <laughs> Let me tell you what, there's that place is packed. You got to elbow your way in there. Some of them old people, those 80 year olds, they're pretty tough. They've learned how to survive, man. <laughs> and speaking of surviving, Murph, let's let's see if you can survive what's coming up next. So well, guess what wait, time wait, wait, it is. Let, let's recall. What? What? Let's recall. Oh, we're not there yet. Okay. We're going to do. We're not there yet. All right. <laughs> not there yet. But guess what time it is? It's time for. 
Small town police, police blotters. You are still way behind, man. Way behind. All right. Hey, guess what? This one actually comes from one of our players out there. Grant Wheeler just sent this in. I decided to, you know, we. I decided to put this in because it's actually kind of bad because it involves a homicide. But the guy who committed it was totally stupid, which made it easy to catch. This comes from Polk County, Missouri, a town called Bolivar, Missouri, population 11,067. Salute. Guess what happened? A judge sentenced a man to life on Tuesday for the 2020 murder of a Bolivar man. Michael Ybarra was sentenced to life in prison for second-degree murder of 35-year-old Joshua Phillips. You know, the bad part is, they, you know, he shot him to death on the floor of his home. But, Steve, this is how they tracked him. Investigators say they tracked Ybarra down through footsteps in paint. He knocked over a can of paint at the scene, and then he walked through the paint, and the detectives, utilizing brilliant detective work, tracked him all the way back to his house and arrested him. Yeah, I guess he probably realized by the time he went to jail, he should not have chosen a life of crime because he's not real smart. Well, he ain't getting out anytime soon. He got sentenced to life. so he, Yeah, uh, he but, doesn't deserve to get out. Well, but as we've seen in many places and we've seen some of the other stuff too, life doesn't mean life. Like in Cheryl's case, this dude, that dude got sentenced to life. Anyway, this is Small Town Police Blotter. Let's yeah. let's keep this let's fun. Have fun. Yeah, Steve, so here's 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 one time when you really know you're a stupid criminal. <laughs> failure, they arrested the police arrested this guy for failure to identify. During a disturbance call, a man gave an officer a false name and was arrested after he was found to have warrants in both names. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you might want to come up with that third A, Skippy. Yeah, third A. So which name did I use? Oh, yeah, that's it. That's it. That, no, I'm not really that guy. I'm this guy, you know? Uh, oh. Hey, I got to tell you, that, that first one where they tracked him in the snow, when I was a city cop in Bluefield. No, in the paint. In the paint. I mean, yeah. Paint. So back in, uh, it was wintertime in Bluefield, and uh, there was a and e into a building, a burglary into a building, a business. And they'd gone through this back window that was really low to the ground, and it, it wasn't maybe three feet high. But when we got there and started looking around, there's the guy's wallet. It fell out of his pocket as he was climbing through the window to burglarize the building. <laughs> Sir, we're here to return your wallet. Uh, you can find it at the local jail. Yeah, come on down. Yeah, well, hey, this this next one, though, this next one is good. I like this one. A crested man was run over by a cow while he was riding his bicycle at the corner of Sycamore and DeVoe Streets at 3.22 p.m. Saturday. According to a police report, Donnie Johnston, 612 East Grand Avenue, was uninjured after a cow ran over him while he was riding his bike. The bike was a total loss. The cow had escaped from the veterinary clinic at 509 West Townline Road. That brings I mean, a whole new meaning to the words hit and run, doesn't it? Hit, hit and run. Some bitch, you, you're my next Big Mac. I, I don't eat I don't eat McDonald's, but hey, man. Top hey, sirloin? I do. I do. I'm uh, good with Big Macs. Let's go. Yeah. Well, speaking of let's go, guess what, Steve? Now it's time to see if you can actually get two in a row. Hey, and, and as we recall, in case you missed last week, go back and listen to it, because I got it right. <laughs> I think I'm up to four out of a thousand here. Four out of a thousand. So guess what, Steve? This comes to us from the Sacramento Bee out of Sacramento, California. This happened on November 10th. You have to guess what year. All right. This is an unusual headline. Police arrest taxi dancer in probe of theft. Patricia Dunham, described by police as a taxi dancer, was arrested in this morning, early this morning, in connection with the theft of $800 from Clifford M. Gillette of 2161 7th Avenue after a Yellow County Auto Court 
drinking party, an auto court drinking party. She was arrested by detectives Otto Dahl and Robert Weiger as she left the Lion's Den Cafe 410 K Street. The cafe was the one in which Gillette said he picked up a woman and another couple early Tuesday morning for a party in the Westgate Auto Court. They found the $800. She is registered. Uh, the police declared Miss Dunham, who is registered as receiving a permit here to work in the West End dance halls, denied she was in Sacramento Tuesday night, but they found the $800 on her. She is a taxi dancer. Is that like, is that like a lap dance in a taxi cab or something? What is a taxi dancer? I don't know. But apparently she had to get a permit for it in California because in California you got to get a permit for everything. So, Steve, was it November 10th, 1939, 1949, or 1959? You know, that's 800 bucks is a lot of money, so I don't think it would be 39. So I'm going to guess 1959. Wrong. Oh, it's 1949. November 10th, 1949. And the streak ends after one. One. <laughs> After one. Uh, and here's the thing about it. I don't care. Care. <laughs> well, hey, we care about this next part, though, because uh, yes. this is one I helped set up, too, because it's uh, through a mutual acquaintance of mine uh, down at the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. This next story is uh, Trisha Cannon. And what's great about this is that, and, and we even say at the beginning, normally you guys hear what some of our episodes involve shoot them up, you know, bad things yeah. like with Cheryl, you know, Claudia. But this one involves bad things, but in a different way. This is about pieces of shit out there who abuse and traffic kids and girls and young girls. And this one, this case that we're going to talk to uh, Trisha about, resulted in her winning a hero, basically hero of the year award from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. What I mean, when you hear the persistence Mm -hmm. that she employed on this. And the one thing she did is she gave her word to the victim, and we'll get into this in the episode, but she said, I'll be there for you. And she was right. for three years. Yep. She yep. was there from the beginning to the end. So, I mean, I mean, nothing says to me he wrote more than somebody like that who gives their word, sticks to it, and is there from beginning to end. And that is and that is Trisha as a mother. She's married, and she's given up her family to go take care of people that, that need help, which is what law enforcement's job primarily is. So we're not going to tell you uh, what the sentence is. You're going to have to listen. But let's just say this son of a bitch got his just reward in the end. Boy, did he. And if you want to hear it, you got to stay tuned, which means, guess what, Murph? What? Are you ready to play the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the game of crimes? You guys are going to love this one. So get in, sit down, shut up, and hold on. Bring on Miss Trish, our newest hero. Steve, many of our prior episodes have been, you know, there's been a lot of violence and stuff associated with them. And every now and then you got to have a episode that just makes you feel real good about something, you know? And so just, Hey, just a warning to everybody. There's no firefights. There's no gunfights. There's no jumping out of houses and doing shoulder rolls, you know, which I normally did. Um, <laughs> from four story okay. buildings. Yeah. Okay. No, but this, this one, I found out, let me tell you real quick, I found this out because she's sitting here listening, but so everybody knows. I was, I, I'm a huge fan of Nick Meck, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Good friend of mine, John Clark's the executive director. I got to work with John Walsh on America's Most Wanted. And when I was scrolling through the Heroes 2021 spotlight, I came across a very interesting case. So let me not belabor this. Let's just bring her on from the Georgia 
Bureau of Investigation, Special Agent Trisha Cannon. Trisha, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, it is a dark day indeed. It is Monday, December 6th, and on Saturday, December 4th, Georgia lost to Alabama once oh. again. Oh. <laughs> and the Falcons uh, yeah. lost yesterday. I don't I'm care dis- about pro football. <laughs> you know, I like seeing Nick Saban, but I like the dogs too. Yeah, well, anyway, we, we just thought you might have been, you know, hung over, you know, just still mourning, you know. So I'm glad you could join us. So. <laughs> not hung over, not hung over. Had to work. Hey, <laughs> as always. As always. You know, I want to say, Morgan, before we get going here, you know, you're, you're saying that we're not going to have the violence and the shoot 'em up bang, bang things that we've we've been putting on the show here lately. But this is one of the most important topics that we have yep. brought so far. Absolutely. And, and I'm not going to spoil it for everybody, but once we get into it, you're going to understand why this is so important. And if you don't think it's important, you're probably not listening to the right podcast because there's nothing more important than what we're going to talk about today. So I just really led you down a rabbit hole to nothing, didn't I? <laughs> well, I I'm, but I'm a master at bringing you back out of it. So hey, so Trisha, <laughs> let's 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 do as we always do with everybody. We want to know what possessed you, what in the hell possessed you to get involved in law enforcement? Because you're not originally from the great state of Georgia. You're from up near our area. You're up from Maryland. I am. So initially, um, I always wanted to work with kids. And I always wanted to be able to help individuals, which is kind of cliche because everybody says that, I know. Um, but I actually came down to Georgia and played softball at the uh, University of North Georgia, which was then North Georgia College. And I played there for three years. And during that, I decided to be a criminal justice major with a concentration in forensics, hoping to get into ballistics or DNA or something along those lines. And um, during that time, I was actually able to do a internship with the Georgia Bear Investigation. So, but, but let's back, yeah, yeah back up, yeah, back, back, up. Up, back up, back up. First of all, <laughs> you had a sixty-three mile an hour soft, fast pitch softball, softball fast pitch, I should say. You know, you weren't just—I mean, you glossed over way too much. So <laughs> oh, let's yeah. just let's just roll back. I said, "What in the hell possessed you?" And you went, "Okay, I just wanted to do bliss." Why? Why did you? I mean, you're down there on a softball scholarship, right? I mean, you're you're doing sports, but why did you want to get involved in this other? What was the thing that led you into it? Did you have any family in the business? Did you? I mean, were you watching Narcos on Netflix? <laughs> actually, you know? no one in my family was in law enforcement. My entire family actually works for um, the elevator trade up in D.C. Um, and I wanted to do something that, um, made me think outside the box and made me, um, learn things that I'd never seen or done before. And it just was very interesting to me. Um, I was very good at math and science. And when I went to college and did a concentration in forensics, it made me think outside the box. It made me want to So Tricia, let's real quickly, when did you, when did you leave Maryland and go to Georgia? Um, fall 20, 2006. All right. So let's rewind a little bit because then you would have been in the area just like us, not only for 9-11, but for the DC sniper. So I was actually still down here for the DC sniper. Oh, you were? Okay. Good for you. Yeah. From 06 to 09, I was down here and I believe the sniper was in Oh, no, no, no. The DC sniper was 2001. I mean, yeah. September 11th. It it was 2002. It was the year after September 11th. Oh yes, 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 yes. I was still up there. I was. 
Yeah. Now that we've clarified that you have a bad memory. <laughs> I do. <laughs> but she said she's good in math and science, which, you good. know, both she, of us. I mean, are. I do have a little five-year-old now that Woo-hoo. she keeps me going nonstop. <laughs> What's her name? Kinsley. 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 Kinsley keeps Trisha on her feet. Uh, yes. Definitely dead tired. She can't remember stuff. So, but what was your memory? Because the reason I asked that is that if there's anything that you deal with ballistics and forensics and stuff, and we just, we, one of our interviews, I believe it was episode 18 was Jeff Nice. He was on the Montgomery yes. County uh, mm-hmm. SWAT team, helped take him down. I had a lot of good friends. Mitch Cunningham was uh, actually the, the head of hostage negotiations for Maryland County with uh, Chief Moose during that time. Morgan doesn't have any friends. I do, too. I do, too. I pay him. Every month, I see the check go out. Okay, okay. So I was actually in the county next to Montgomery County. So I was in Howard County. Um, and in 01, I believe I was in uh, 7th or 8th grade then. So I was in middle school. Um, and I do remember it coming across. And um, if I recall, I was really worried because my family all works down in D.C. and in the Montgomery County area. So... Um, I do remember it, but that wasn't a huge impact, I guess, as far as wanting to be in law enforcement. I think it was just something that I've always wanted to do um, with no specific reason. Um, It was just thinking outside the box, helping with kids, helping with other people, um, and being able to solve a problem that was in front of me, kind of like you do in math or science. This is getting serious too quickly. I was yeah, this is softball. Like, How'd you guys do like, softball? <laughs> what division were you? So we were division two. Um, and my last year there, which was my junior year, um, we actually came third in the nation. Woo-hoo, wow. All right. All right. Who, who beat you out? Do you remember first and second? So Lockhaven came in first place. Um, and I do not remember who came in second. Losers. See, nobody remembers second place. Second place That's is right. just first loser, according to Ricky Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody remembers the bronze medalists because they go, had it just been for that. But you remember the gold and the bronze, but nobody remembers the silver. But hey, there real quickly, before we get too far down into your uh, college years, what was your favorite? Maybe there's another influencer. What was your? What were some of your favorite TV shows growing up? You know, or, you know, did any of that affect you at all? Because here's what I'm trying to get to. Your family's in business, the elevator business. You're in. You're playing softball, and I'm still trying to figure out what was the influence that got you into the law enforcement side of this. Um, so I did watch a lot of like First Forty Eight and CSI, which is so cliche, but um, I did enjoy watching those, and I did know that obviously you can't solve a crime within thirty minutes. Of oh wait, a TV wait, show. wait a minute. You can't? What? DNA no. results don't come back in 15 minutes, you know, just because you snap your fingers? Oh, my God. I remember I had to explain that on the stand one time that, you know, just because, you know, you collect something at the scene, you don't have to always process it because sometimes it takes so long, especially with the Bureau right now. There's no telling how much of a backup we are on. Um, I mean, I know people are waiting over a year for any kind of analysis to be completed. So the, GB, the GBI is the main testing lab for law enforcement in the whole state of Georgia, correct? That's correct. And we have, um, I think there's three morgues open, um, and sworn employees were only at about 250. Wow. wow. So we'll, we'll get it's into that in a minute. So let's roll back here to college. So you were <laughs> a good pitcher. You had a 63-mile-an-hour fastball. 
what point during college did you did you start reaching out and start going, hey, I want to start getting involved in law enforcement? Because you said you did an internship. So when did these criminal justice classes start happening? Your freshman year, sophomore year? When did you start actually start going down that path? It was mainly my sophomore year. My first year of college, I focused on getting my core classes out of the way. And actually, I graduated in three and a half years versus four um, because I took extra classes to get through school. Um, but part of the criminal justice program at North Georgia College, we had to complete an internship. Um, and it was pretty much an entire semester where we had to be involved in some aspect of law enforcement. And um, one of my professors actually informed me that I should check into the GBI. Um, and so I requested an internship and actually um, got the internship. And it's usually very selective because there's so many people that um, apply, but I was chosen to be up in the area that I was. How did you, what was your selection process like? Did you have to write an essay, show up for an interview? I mean, what did you do to get that internship? Because a lot of people think internships are just kind of like a, a throwaway. Yeah, we need a couple interns. So let's go grab a couple interns, you know? Yeah, no, I had to do an interview and then I also had to take a polygraph in order to get the internship. Did one of the questions they ask you, did you ever drink beer while you were underage? Yes, it was, have you ever drank um, alcohol underage? <laughs> and what was your answer? Truthfully, it was very limited. Um, playing softball, I didn't want to lose my scholarship because then I would have to go back home. <laughs> um, so I was kind of like the good kid in college. I've never, I never did anything wrong. But when I did go on vacation to like Bermuda and stuff where it was legal to drink, I well, did see, no, that's that's different, right? You know, so, you know, when you said you never did, did you ever run a stop sign? Did you ever speed? Come on, let's dig into oh, your... Oh, yes. Yes, oh, I so did. You admit you did do some things wrong. Yes, I did. <laughs> I was not perfect. <laughs> Doggone it. See, Steve, we've pierced the bubble. We Now everybody's going to be disappointed that she isn't the perfect college student. And her parents, <laughs> if your parents are listening to this, we're so sorry to know that your daughter ran stop signs and actually violated <laughs> the speed limit law. And Trisha's probably thinking about now, I'm really sorry I came on this podcast. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, not at all. Not at all. Hey, so you go through this, inter- so what is, you, so you pass all of this, you get the internship. What What's it like being a college student over at the GBI? You know, what was your, here's the question I'd like to get to. A lot of times people go into it thinking it's one thing, like they watch TV or like you said, you watch CSI or the first 48. It kind of gives you a Um, you know, an idea. And CSI is a scripted television show. The first 48 is reality. What was the biggest paradigm shift for you between what you thought it was and what it actually ended up being when you got inside GBI? So when I got in with the GBI, it was very eye-opening. Obviously, I learned nothing happens between nine and five. Everything happens after hours. And um, I will never forget one time my parents were coming down to visit me. And they got stuck in a lot of traffic right there at the South Carolina, Georgia line um, on 85 South. And when they actually got here, um, I got a phone call that said, hey, we have a dead body. Do you want to go? And it was like a Friday evening. And I looked at my parents. They literally just walked in the door and I was like, hey, can I go? (laughs) And they were like, absolutely, go ahead. And then it turned out the traffic that they were sitting in was the um, scene I was working Oh, oh no okay. kidding! So, wow. tell us about tell us about the first scene. Uh, I would assume up until that point, you probably had not seen a dead body before. So, I had never seen a dead body before. Um, I actually um, 
carried a body out of a house um, for the first time ever as an intern. Um, So that was very interesting. They're much heavier than I ever expected. Um, But I will say I haven't smelled a horrible dead body. I haven't haven't had to experience that yet. Or what I thought was, I've done several, um, I have been a part of a lot of, you know, murder investigations and stuff like that, but I've yet to really experience a horrible. Well, trust us, you're not, you're not missing anything. That, that is the one smell that once you get into it, it just, there is no way to describe it other than it's 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 a smell you feel like you can't get it off your skin you can't get it out of your clothes uh, you know it just yeah consider yourself lucky I do remember one time um, they were told they told me that oh it smells pretty bad and they were like but do not put fixed vapor like on your above your lip because they said that usually you know um, gets rid of the smell well I was told that it actually absorbs into the skin which will then make you smell it even longer so if you just go in and Get used to it. Tough it out. Tough it out. Yeah, tough it out for the first time. You'll be fine. I would put stuff in my nose. I I just, because that's the other thing too, is it's like when you get a cold and your nose is all plugged up, you can't taste anything, you know, smell anything. So I did the, I did kind of what you said. I did, you know, you put that on there, I'm going, then I got to wipe it off. Then it's like, no, I just, I would put stuff in my nose and put a mask over it. I was, it's one of those things. I could go work the scenes, but man, when it came to smells, I was like, ugh, ugh, ugh. That never really affected me. I never, I never, I don't know if it just, I couldn't smell them or what, but it wasn't terrible. You kind of learn to breathe through your mouth, but if you make that mistake and breathe through your nostrils, you won't do it a second time. (laughs) No, no. Well, let's 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 move on to something a little more interesting because I haven't <laughs> ate lunch yet. So uh, let's not you ruin still got lunch. a little bit of time. <laughs> yeah. But so, but so when you sat down and you processed after that first scene, did you have a realization that that goes? I mean, usually when you have something like that, there's one of two things that happen: either hell yeah, this is what I want to do, or number two, what the fuck did I just get myself into? I'm going yeah, back to I, math. I was. I I knew that once I started that internship, I knew this is exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I, number one, I love the people that were a part of the GBI and the way they were so welcoming and willing to teach. Um, because that, that's one thing i never, ever experienced in my life was any kind of, um, like death or any kind of law enforcement interaction. Um, and so going there and experiencing this, I love getting the call outs. I love the adrenaline rush of going on the search warrants or, you know, interviewing people and just, you know, it's almost like a game that you're playing to, um, figure something out, like from start to finish. Once that call comes in, it's constantly figuring out what to do. And I knew that's what I wanted. Gee. And if somebody just came up with a podcast called game of crimes that actually delved into that exact thing, how brilliant would those guys be? I'm I'm telling you, Hey, well, let's, let's go back. So you do this internship. How long does your internship last? So my internship was from June to August in the middle of summer in Georgia. Well, that's got to be so much fun. It was so hot. (laughs) (laughs) But that was, was that at the end of your, between your junior and senior year or when was that? Yes. So that was right before I graduated. All right. Yeah. Miss Smarty Pants, because you studied extra hard and you got out three and a half, even though you can't, you know. 
Did you pick up how she just said that right before she graduated? That's a Georgia accent right there. You've been down there long enough that Graduate. you start to pick it up, yeah, there, young lady. Since 06, 20 years. There you go. See, now there you're, we you're speaking the, the right Queen's English. That's right. Well, <laughs> now, now the first time I remember being down in Florida going through a, a, some law enforcement training, and I ran into a gentleman from the GBI. His name, he introduced himself. We're all talking to each other. He goes, good afternoon, gentlemen. My name is Nathan Katziff. I'm with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. That's J-O-J-A. <laughs> but he had that deep southern Georgia accent, you know, and of course now, Quick divergence. My, one of my favorite stories is you heard about Cobb County, Georgia. You know there was these two yeah. deputies, and have you ever heard of a you ever heard of a Georgia search warrant, Steve? Uh, I'm afraid to answer that question. <laughs> I'm no, not sure the statute two, of limitations has run out. On that's everything. where these two deputies show up. One in front, one in back. The one in front yells, "Police!" The one in back yells, "Y'all come in." <laughs> <laughs> Okay. We do things a lot different now. I know. Well, there is one though. I believe. I believe this story though, and it was. I believe it was Cobb County. It came out of, and there was this guy that was sitting in the diner eating, you know, and he had this like this three hundred thousand dollar Lamborghini, and the deputy walks in, and says, "Who owns this Lamborghini out here?" And the guy says, "I do." He says, "I'm writing you a ticket for going 122 miles per hour." I says, you can't do it. I'm sitting in the parking lot. He says, son, judge, take one look at you and one look at that car. Who you think he's going to believe? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I don't know if it really happened, but it's a good story. But let's, oh, let's go back to, so you, but you go through college, um, when do you, but you don't go into the GBI right away. So what do you do to get yourself started in this law enforcement profession? So in uh, Lumpkin County, where North Georgia College is, um, the county is Lumpkin County. And that's in the North Georgia mountains. You are up there in pretty country. Yes, it's gorgeous up there. It's very quiet. And I mean, you would never know that there was a college town up there, but there is no football team, um, which is unusual for Georgia. But um, so Lumpkin County. Apparently I after actually, last weekend, too, they didn't have a football team either. Thank you very much. <laughs> I don't know that they really should have. I think they, they could have known that Alabama was going to bring their A game. Oh, and yeah. they were going to pass. Anyway, we'll get into it later. But yeah, the way you beat a front seven, you know, big defensive line is you pass. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we diverge. So let's go back to you, Lumpkin <laughs> County. Um, and so they were opening up a new courthouse. Um, and I actually um, met one of the captains over there, over the courthouse, um, because his daughter played softball. And I was actually involved with, the, with coaching um, the team over there. So... Um, he asked if I would be interested in a job um, because they needed a female to be able to run up and down the steps to get from one courtroom to another if there was anything that had arised. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'll Wait you know, a minute. You said they, why did they need a female? Why couldn't they just hire anybody? Well, they just wanted a female because most of the um, individuals there were males and they wanted a female for f- female inmates or just okay. to be there as well. Um, so I was like, yeah. And he knew I was in criminal justice and wanted to, um, kind of get my foot in the door and start working the criminal justice, um, law enforcement, uh, path. So, um, I actually got a job and during that time, um, a school resource officer position came open. Um, and because of my past of being good and never doing a drug in my life, (laughs) um, I was chosen to be a dare, um, instructor. So I was then placed at um, an elementary school 
teaching DARE. How old were you at this time? Let's see. I was 20. No, not, uh, when did I, uh, gosh, I can't even think. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> I graduated in 09, so I was 21. I thought you said Here. you were good at math. Come on, I, Matt. Come on, Trisha. 21. What's two and two, Trisha? Uh, four. <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, we all right. So, but, but you were, I mean, had you thought, did you want to apply for GBI right out of college or was there uh, an issue why you didn't, because if that was what you liked and you wanted to do, why didn't you apply for GBI first? So the GB, I was actually on a um, hiring freeze during this time. Okay, so time out. Steve, how many times have we heard that when people want to get their – name one episode that we've talked about where there probably wasn't a hiring freeze. I can't think of one, and it doesn't matter whether state, local, federal. It's Everybody goes through those budget crunches. It is so funny. I mean, you wouldn't believe this, Trisha. All these episodes, we talk to people. Yeah, Zach, we just had a meeting with Zach last week. You know, he was the DEA agent that worked with the other guys to bring down Victor Boot, the merchant of death. Hiring freeze. You know, everybody had a hiring freeze. So they had a hiring freeze. So uh, you went to Lumpkin County. So you became a deer officer. What was that like teaching, you know, kind of going back in and now you're in uniform teaching these kids, you know, as opposed to like, you know, teaching softball or coaching softball. What's it like, you know, doing that kind of work, you know, early when you're young and early on like that? Truthfully, it was a kind of a passion of mine because I've always wanted to work with kids. And when I went to school um, for when I went to college, I wanted to either be a teacher or be in law enforcement. Um, So I picked a college that had... um, a program in each of those. Um, and so I kind of got the best of both worlds because I was a law enforcement officer who assisted with, you know, if any events came up or if they needed help, um, you know, executing warrants or anything like that. And then on the flip side, I was there teaching kids. Um, and during my time at the school, it made me realize that my passion was working with kids, but not a hundred percent teaching like a teacher would, but you know, protecting them and being their voice. And it opened my eyes to some of the abuse that kids can and have gone through and just seeing them and what they go through. I wanted to be able to help them and protect them the best that I could. What kind of things did you come across? Because we had dear officers too, you know, where I worked at and a lot of people that you get, once you develop that relationship, then you start finding out things. Then if once they start feeling comfortable and know they can trust you, they'll start telling you things. What were some of the things that you found out, you know, as a dare officer? Um, a lot of kids at a young age, especially if their parents were drug addicts, they knew a lot more than your average kid because most of the kids don't even know anything about drugs. Um, And then seeing some of the kids' eyes, like, you know, sink or their heads go down because they've seen it. They know it. They're living it daily. Um, That was very heartbreaking. And then having kids say, you know, or I've been involved with kids when I go out and I see, oh, I taught you in D.A.R.E. and here I am, you know, being involved with your parents because they're not making the best decisions or choices. You know, that was always kind of sucked is that you see these kids, you want to do something to help them, but then you you realize that after a period of years that you've arrested their parents, you've arrested them, and now you're arresting their kids, you know, and it's like there's several of those families you just wish you could break that cycle because it's like, hey, I just taught you in D.A.R.E. and now I'm arresting you. Now you're an adult. Now you're doing the same stuff, right? So that, that's got to be – that had to be heartbreaking. Yeah, and the one thing that always drives me crazy, even just – 
being out in public, it doesn't necessarily have to be in the school, is when the parents constantly are saying, oh, they're going to arrest you, like if you're in uniform. And I'm like, nope, I'm not going to arrest you. I'm here to protect you. That's my job. You need to be able to come to me and tell me if something's not right. So when parents constantly say, oh, if you're acting up or you're bad, they're going to take you to jail, I'm going to be like, no, I'm someone that you can come to. I'm someone that you can talk to or come to me for help. Same way here. I, Steve, you're about to say the same thing too. I am just so tired of hearing that. It's like, be kid or they're going to arrest you. No, normally, you know, I smarted off one time. I think I got a letter for this one, but I smarted off reply back. No, the only time I arrest somebody are stupid parents who say stupid things like this to their kids, you know? Yeah, and you probably did get smacked for that one. You should say that. Dear Captain, but, you know, there I was, you know, nobody was more shocked <laughs> than me when those words came out of my mouth. But, uh, uh, you know, the other one, though, I hated too, is you'd always show up. I remember getting this. You'd work late shift as a trooper stuff. You know, you'd go in and meet guys at two in the morning. You'd always get the stupid drunk go, hey, hey, uh, hey, officer, I didn't do it. And I always look at him, if you didn't do it, how'd you know about it? And then their eyes yeah. get, you stay, you wait right there. I'm going to be right back. So I'd make them stand outside. <laughs> We'd go in and sit down. And one time, one guy did wait 30 minutes. You know, we got done. We walked back. I did, did you want to talk with me? Yeah. Don't ever say that again. And then I just walked <laughs> off. It is. No, you know what? I started in law enforcement in 75, which long before Trisha was ever born. 1875 and, with covered wagons and the Pony Express was how Steve right. got to work. Yes. That's right. At least we knew how to ride a horse, right? But um, people still did it back then. It's like, no, no, kids, not, we're not going to arrest you. We're the good guys. We might arrest your mom and dad for being stupid, but. It's really sad when, and you see kids, because then they're like, oh, I got to, you know, behave. Yep. And I'm like, no, I'm here to protect you. That's my job. I'm not arresting everybody. I'm here to protect you. I want you to be able to come to me. I want you to talk to me. You know, if I have an interaction with you, and that's one thing that we do is um, working in the unit I do now, we actually have like goodie bags for the kids because obviously us being there executing a search warrant is very traumatic for them. And we want them, we want to leave them with a good impression or like, hey, we are the good ones. You can come to us. You can talk to us. And so we usually come with like, we notice a lot of kids like don't have toothbrushes or socks. And so we create um, like little goodie bags that just have, you know, some essential essential uh, necessities. And then we also have like a coloring book or we have a lot of um, what we call swag. So coloring books, pens, pencils. GBI swag. There you go. Yeah. Hey, well, uh, but, but while you're at Lumpkin County, all right, so how long are you at Lumpkin County before this hiring freeze ends? And, and you know, what does somebody, do you do dare the whole time? Are you, are you in patrol? So what's your kind of your career path, you know, while you're in Lumpkin County? So I got hired on in Lumpkin County in 2010, January 2010, um, and I actually went to the academy, I believe it was in February, like the police academy here in Georgia, in February and graduated, uh, I believe it was the end of May. Um, and so I went straight to the courthouse after that. And then come August is when I went to the school, when school started up. And during the summer months, I was, you know... Um, ex or um, serving warrants or you know civil papers and working the courthouse, doing transports, um, and just being available for whatever they needed. And then I went to the school, and when I was in the school, that was my main job. I didn't work the road. I didn't do anything besides be at the school every day. Um, the sheriff at the time that was one of his, um, I guess incentives is if he got hired, if he got elected as sheriff, he would have a police officer in every school. 
Now, did you drive a DARE vehicle or did you drive a regular marked vehicle? I just had a regular marked vehicle. Right now, they actually have, um, I believe it's a DARE car that they do have now. Yeah. We had a parade one time on the police department, DARE vehicle. Said this vehicle, you know, because they would put this vehicle was seized, you know, from drug dealers. Mm -hmm. We had one, a black Ford Bronco, looked sweet, decked out, looked really good. It was seized twice from dope dealers because what happened was you seize it, it goes to auction, Mm -hmm. they sell it off. One of his buddy dope dealers bought it. Six months later, seized it again. This time they said, hey, this is going to be a great dare vehicle. (laughs) It's going to show you why crime doesn't pay, at least in this area. So we we like that one. So uh, you had the regular thing. So, but you didn't stay at the sheriff's office, I mean, for very long, right, before the opportunity with GBI opened up? So I believe with the GBI, in order to get hired on, they give a test two times a year. Usually it's like January, February, and then they do one in the fall. And in August, I had heard that they were going to um, be giving the test in September. So I, January 2011, I heard that they were giving the test. So I told my supervisor at the time, like, hey, the GBI is opening up for hiring. I'm going to take the test. I don't know what's going to happen, but I will be, I will let you know what's going on. Um, And he was like, go for it. Because when I got hired on, that was the one thing I said is, you know, this, I I want to progress. I'm not going to stay. I want to progress my career. And so um, he was like, thank you for being up front, letting me know. Um, just let me know what happens. And I took the test. I believe it was in February. And um, I then passed the test and continued on through the hiring process, which took almost an entire year. See, that's the other thing, too. <laughs> I tell you, it's like people don't realize the persistence you have to have, especially to get Steve. I mean, how long did it take you? Three years or something? Two years. <laughs> Two, Two years. years. unbelievable. And that, and that, and Trisha, that required Steve actually driving from Krusty Krab, West Virginia, all the way into D.C. to knock on the recruiter's door and go, WTF, Homer, what is oh going on here? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I didn't have to do that, luckily. Mine was only about an hour or so drive. An hour or so. <laughs> so uh, what, what's, the, what's the application process like for the Georgia Bureau of Investigation? So we have to take a test. Um, and a, Which we've already established you're good at tests, Miss Goody Two-Shoes, who graduates <laughs> in three and a half years. Doesn't go out, so she has plenty of time to study. Yeah. And I also wanted to continue my softball career and not lose my scholarship. But, um, very good. I, that made mom and dad test. very happy, didn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yes, they were very happy. Good. I can't complain. But, <laughs> hey, they had the best daughter, too. So they Well, of course complain. How many do. daughters do they have? Just me. (laughs) (laughs) But they do. I do have an older brother, so, who happens to be in the elevator trade. (laughs) Are you the favorite? I am, and actually, I was the only granddaughter on one side, too. Oh, you uh, you got it going for you. You got all the advantages. Spoiled life, I'll bet you. Oh, my God. I bet you that's what everybody tells me. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. Let's go back to Georgia. So you take that. So what, what's the application process like? What do you go through? You take the written test. So you take a test, and then you have to go through a psychological exam. You have to go. What was the written test like? What, what kind of things did they ask you about? Like police policy and procedure? You know, like what would you do? Was it more like ethical questions? You know, what if you remember, what was the test like? So I do remember that um, initially we had to watch two videos, and then we had to answer questions about the video. Um, and it was one of those things that you watch the video and just scribble notes all over your paper or try to keep it in somewhat of an organized, um, 
manner, but you watch the video, you take some notes, and then you answer questions about those videos. Um, they did have questions like um, math questions where so-and-so left at this time and then went here, then here, then here, and then this person left, and then who committed the crime. Um, they did do some grammar and writing questions. Um, there wasn't much on the actual criminal justice laws and procedures. Um, it was more of a general test when I took it. Now, I believe the test has changed since then, um, but I'm not 100% sure what it is now. Does GBI prefer to hire people with law enforcement experience without it? You know, what's kind of, do you know what their preference is or does it matter? So as of right now, it didn't matter um, because we do, they will send um, people through post, which is the um, peace officer's um, standards. Uh, standard standards. training. Yeah. Yeah. So they will send them through post and get them um, certified to be a police officer. Um, and I do know there were several people who had to go through the academy first. And I know now they're sending, I believe the last time they sent just recently, maybe 10 through post. And then they went through the GBI Academy. So you've got to go. So going through the GBI Academy doesn't qualify you to be a police officer. You still got to go through the post training. That's correct. Wow. So you got to go through post first and then through GBI Academy. I didn't know that. Wow. I did not know that. There, we both learned something. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Um, but we had to do a psychological and then we do what's called an interview weekend um, where you go and you kind of have a physical test. You do like. Wait, wait a minute. Pulls. What do you mean you kind of have a physical test? What do you just. Well, you have to like. There's no standard like, oh, you have to run a mile in five minutes. Um, it's more of you have to run. I believe it's maybe a mile and a half and you have to finish. Um, and they keep track of time and stuff like that. Um, but I think it's a lot of we want to see that you finish it and you put give it your all and you're constantly going. Um, now they actually do have a time limit, test, a time limit, and it's more of an obstacle course than just straight running. So you have to drag a body, jump a wall, um, and that's been implemented within the last uh, six months or a year. See, man, that sounds more like training, you know, tests that you do for a police department or a state patrol, you know, or something like that where you'd be out on the street. So that's, that's interesting that they're putting them through that now. Was that because you just blew everybody away on the course and they said, this is too easy? No, no. Running is not my forte. I hate <laughs> running. <laughs> I can do, you know, climbing walls and stuff like that or agility and stuff, but I, running is not my forte. You know what I, Here's what I imagine you being, though, if you were went back out on the street. Did you ever see those uh, video clips of Peyton and Eli Manning where they were pretending to be cops and they had their glasses on, but instead of guns, they had footballs? And then they uh -uh. would throw So a great clip out there. All I can see you is with a little fast-pitch softball go, hey, police officer, stop. You don't stop. Then <laughs> I just see the wind-up and whack, side of the head, knock them out like oh, Crocodile yeah. Dundee. She wouldn't have said stop. She'd say, go ahead, run, sucker. <laughs> <laughs> run, run. Yeah, you'll just go to jail tired, asshole. All right, yeah. come on back. Um, and so the, through the interview weekend, you also do um, a riding exercise where um, you have a set time where you watch a video and then you write as like an incident report or what we consider a summary about what happened or what you did. Um, and they're looking for grammar. They're looking for punctuation and spelling. Um seeing if you did your research on how the GBI writes, um, because we do write in third person. Um, 
and, you know, just writing in a flow and showing that you are able to successfully write what you're seeing. Um, then they do. Thank goodness interview. we're not doing this podcast in third person. That would be kind of awkward. Special yeah. Agent Cannon, that's you, you know, yeah. did show up to the podcast. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to tell you at first that was very hard to get used to when I first got hired on, but now it's like second nature. Just, yeah, you know, as a Cannon. So why, why is that? Is that to make it more like it? Because, um, you know, a lot of times with state bureau of investigations or state police, you know, you're, you're the outside agency that comes in. You're, you don't necessarily always make recommendations. You provide a summary of evidence and reports and somebody else makes the decision right to charge. Is there a reason why they write in the third person like that? I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I will tell you that after working this and seeing the turnover rate, that if I went like to the stand and all the summary said, I, I'd be like, I is not me. This is for agent, you know, Smith or whatever. Um, so I think it would be very hard if it was all in I, and I, to me, it sounds, um, more professional in third person, um, when writing and actually presenting it to the district attorney's office. It's, yeah, it's primarily for clarity purposes so that, you know, sometimes you are called on the stand to read something from a report and it just makes it simple. Everybody understands. And like you said, if you if you get into you know page four and they're referring to I, you have and you have multiple reports. You're always going back to the first page to see who is I. Yeah, who who wrote I is me. Who I know, is. Yeah, we always use um, the name, and when we we write, we always use the last name. Um, the only time we use the first name is when there's same last names or something. Same last. Oh, yep, same last name. All right. So. Um, so finish up now. You, you do this interview weekend. So and during the interview weekend, we actually do an interview where you have, um, which we have a special agent in charge. We have a special assistant special agent in charge, and then you know, um, like a special agent. So you have the different rankings or um, the different levels of com- uh, staff supervisors. And during that time, they ask you questions. You know kind of your general interview questions. What's your weakness? What's your strength? If you were put in this situation, what would you do? Um, and they just see the answers and how well you speak. And they're looking for, you know, confidence and the response. And that even if you don't think you have a weakness, everyone has a weakness. They don't want you to go in there saying, no, I don't have a weakness. I'm perfect. You have to tell them, hey, this is my strength. I do have this weakness, but, you know, I'm working towards it, and hopefully it will get better. So what's, what's your weakness? <laughs> Thanks for putting me on the spot. <laughs> um, usually I talk too much. Um, number one, I talk too much, and I ramble. Well, you're doing a pretty good job now. Normally that's Murph. Yeah. He rambles around the house. I got to rein him back in. What was He goes, you know, he goes, what was I saying three minutes ago? I don't know. But now What's I have your to name pee. Again? Yeah. How are you anyway? <laughs> I know my other one is, is I typically talk really fast and I've only been to court a few times on my cases. Usually they plea out and almost every time I'm on the stand, they're like, can you slow down and repeat what you the just stenographer. said? stenographer. <laughs> I gave court reporters carpal tunnel. You think you speak oh, fast? Yeah. Wait till I start getting up there and start saying, well, look, here's what we did. And we, you know, we did this, we did that, we did get over. And by the time they get to they go, slow down. And so for me, yes. even when I slow down, I feel like I'm on quaaludes or something. And even then, I've never done quaaludes, but I heard that they make you go like this. But it's a, even when I'm speaking slow, I feel like I'm still... To, 
I'm still regular speed for most folks, but for me, I feel like it's a turtle, you know? It's very hard. <laughs> well, the other weakness, too, is you don't, you just don't go out and have any fun. You were just perfect through college. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was perfect. Okay. Well, we've established that you do run stop signs and speed. So there is some criminality yes. in your background, even though it's traffic infractions. So you yes. go through this whole interview weekend. How long is it? Do you know that weekend that you go on to the next round or how long does it take before they tell you, hey, you're advancing in the process? So it depends. So your test is good for one year. Um, and you have to either be hired on within that one year or you have to take the test again. Um, and I believe it was about three or four months before the interview weekend after the test. And then, um, we did the interview weekend and if you pass interview weekend, that's when they start doing the polygraph and the background and the psychological. Um, and I believe I was, it was all within like Every other month I had something come up. Um, and then in, I believe it was November, um, I actually applied for a second job with the GBI as a task force um, agent doing drugs down in South Georgia, um, which was a very interesting experience for a girl coming from D.C. Um, I was driving down there and they were like, hey, are you willing to move? And I thought North Georgia was a culture shock slash environment shock. Um, and I was I know like, what's coming. yes, and no disrespect whatsoever, but where do you guys live? There's no apartments. There's no townhomes. Everything's a farm or, you know, there's houses, but there was no, um, what appeared to be like rentals. <laughs> and they're like, well, you can actually live in the surrounding counties, which was actually the coast. So that would have been really cool. Um, but right after that, I actually got offered a job. I believe it was maybe October, November. I was offered the crime scene position up in North Georgia. So you did get, so this was still GBI, right? Whether it was the task force officer down South or the crime scene position, those were still two job offers from GBI. Is that right? So the task force, I would be more of a task force and not employed through GBI. It was more like attached or Okay, who would you have worked for then if you were a task force so officer? It, um, it's with the GBI, but the way they did it, it was more of being not an agent where I could – it's hard to explain. Like I could then transfer or then apply for GBI and already have kind of a foot in the door to transfer anywhere. So who? where did your salary come from? Did it come from the state or did it come from the task force itself or – I didn't get that far into it because I just did the interview. Oh, okay. And then as soon as I did the interview, I was requested to get hired on. And you were saying down close to the coast, are you down in Chatham County or where to way down? So there? I was down in Appling, Baxley area, um, which is about 35, 45 minutes maybe from the coast inland. I don't know much about South Georgia. <laughs> Our buddy Lou Velozzi is over in Savannah. Okay, yeah. That's But that's a pretty area. Well, but you got your – so the dream position for you was getting that crime scene position initially, right? Yes, that's exactly what I wanted to do. Well, let's t let's talk about that then. Let's start getting into the meat of this now. Um, so you get hired on. Now, because you've already gone through post with Lumpkin County, you don't have to go through post to get hired on for GBI, right? You just go to their – you just go to their training? That's correct. So when getting hired on with the GBI, 
um, because we were so short-staffed in the hiring freeze, um, we just had to initially go through a two-week high liability um, until they had enough for a actual GBI Academy class. Um, and when I got hired on, I actually, because I was in crime scene, the National Forensics Academy had openings and me and four or five other agents actually got selected to go to the National Forensics Academy before we even went to the GBI Academy. Um, so we went to the National Forensics Academy first, um, got trained there, came back, worked two or three months, and then we went to the GBI Academy. Where was the National Forensics Academy at? Up in Tennessee at the Body the Farm. The Body Farm. See, Patricia Cornwell yes. wrote a, a novel about that, The Body Farm. Are you familiar with that, Steve, The Body Farm? No. That's that's literally what it is. They take bodies out there, people who have, or corpses, people who, you know, either donate their bodies and they do all sorts of different things. They bury them. They do certain things to them. So, and they put, lay things on them to understand, hey, is that a metal plate? Was it copper? You know, to see the different things of decomposition. So when they say body farm, that's literally what it is. I mean, you go out there and you see various stages of decomposition, animal, you know, whatever it is. Wow. And like they also show you the difference between like if a body was in water and, you know, say in the trees or hanging in the trees or laying on the, just the ground or covered with leaves. Um, it was a very cool experience. Well, let's talk about that for a second because you're, li- I mean, it's, I hate to you keep using the word literally because I sound like a valley girl. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask though. I mean, that just, you pass the psychological and then you're enjoying going to the body farm. Now, something's not adding up here. This just makes me a little suspicious. It's What's a going flawed on? psychological test. Uh. So when, you, when you leave the psychological test, I swore I left thinking I am the craziest person on this earth. <laughs> I felt like I was so crazy. And then you met us. <laughs> then you go to the body farm and you're going, wow, this is cool. But hey, t- tell us about that experience out there. You know, you go out there, like I said, your first body you saw was uh, with uh, the, internship, the internship, right? What's it like now to go from that to seeing, it's a controlled scene, obviously, but I mean, it's it's acres and acres of things, you know, just dead, wow. death. Yeah, actually, it was a lot to take in initially. Um, and putting everything to work because it's almost like a fast pace, you know, year of college. You're doing it with just a few months. You're learning about ballistics. You're learning about DNA. You're learning about blood spatter. You're learning about, you know, decomp and photography and, you know, how to document stuff. So it's very fast paced and it's very eye opening. And to take it all in, um, I'm one of those that I'm a very hands-on learner. So doing everything hands-on instead of just through textbooks I actually retained a lot more. Um, and then, you know, it's it's very interesting to see how nothing is ever the same. And I think that's one thing that brought me to law enforcement is not every day is exactly the same. There's no crime that is exactly the same. There's no scene that's exactly the same. No person is the exact same way. So um, everything was a di- different each day, um, which was very cool. Um, but it was very, uh, very, uh, what's the right word? Like you had to use your mind a lot and you had to think outside the box and you had to retain a bunch of information. So I'm, I'm just looking up, looking this up. The body farm is sponsored by the university of Tennessee. Is that the right? So yes. is it close to Knoxville? Uh, yes. Wow. I can't believe I never heard of this. I grew and up I in Tennessee. I believe we stayed in, um, like Oak Ridge. 
Oak Ridge, yeah, there's Oak Ridge National Labs is there too. They're doing a lot of neat stuff over at Oak Ridge National Labs with um, scanning for actually DNA in buried things. Actually, talked to Arpad Voss is the guy's name. He's a brilliant guy that came up with this thing that you can put DNA into the machine and it will scan for the frequency of the DNA to discover uh, clandestine body sites and things like that. So that is interesting. So you absorb a lot of the stuff. Yeah. So you do. Well, see, Steve, but the reason too is. You know, DEAs, that's not really tasked with doing, you know, homicide or, you know, investigation like that. Um, you know, in that sense, that's going to be more the province at the federal level of the FBI. You know, they'll get involved in that and then, you know, state police. But um, and the other state thing, police, too, is, why is we need somebody to go get us something to drink or eat while we're out there. Investigating, well, yeah, you or? wouldn't find the body unless a kilo of cocaine was taped to it. So, you know, hey, we found, <laughs> that a, might coke. Be true. We found a kilo of coke. Oh, there's a dead body attached to it. Well, what do you know? Oh. We'll make a. And by the way, you know, the way DEA here, here's a little insight for you, Tricia. Worked with DEA one time, so when they get a seizure and they say, well, we just seized, you know, so many kilograms of something, it includes the packaging it's in. So some guys doing a, DE, doing a search warrant with the task force one time found some black tar heroin, which was unusual for the area we were in, but it was on one of these kind of petrified wood ashtray things. Well, the, the black tar heroin weighed about 10 grams. <laughs> the ashtray weighed three pounds. So now we have a six kilo, six kilo seizure of black tar heroin. <laughs> it's a, didn't you take that creative writing class when you went to the police academy? It's all about the way you view things and report it. Good Lord. Are you, oh, I forgot. You're in Kansas. You guys you guys can't write out well, there. Well, one kilo of cocaine taped to a 200 body, and now we have, hey, guess what? We've got an 80 kilo, 90 kilo seizure. Congrats. You know, there you go. Anyway. <laughs> it's all in the presentation. It's all in, yeah. It's, it's all in how you count things. So getting back to you, though, Tricia, back to our regularly scheduled podcast. So back to you. So you do this crime scene stuff. What's So then you go from that. Would it was it better for you to do it that and then go into GBI or would it have been better to start with GBI and then go to this forensic science courses after you've been on the job for a while? Um, I think I would have liked to have a little bit more hands-on experience with, you know, how we do things, which it's very similar, but you know, each department has their own policies, each department does their own way of writing. Um it was very good. Um, but I do wish that I had some hands-on experience and I also wish, um, the way the GBI works is a lot of agencies, you come on and you have to be an investigator first and then like crime scenes, a specialty or something like that, where GBI, you come in and you could go anywhere. They could offer you crime scene. They could offer you a special agent. They could offer you, um, you know, being a drug agent, you could go into another specialty unit like I'm in now with the child exploitation. Um, but I was sent straight to crime scene. Um, and I do think that that wasn't a, a great thing. It wasn't horrible. Um, but I almost would have liked to see starting out as an investigator and progressing to crime scene because then you get to see start to finish how something how a case has worked, um, where I went in and, you know, I was straight crime scene. I didn't really do interviews. I processed the scene. I processed the evidence. Um, and that was about the extent. Now, during my training, um, of being a, like a field training agent, I then had to work side by side working those investigations. But I think starting as a special agent in straight investigation and not a specialty unit, I think that could have helped as well. 
So let's level set real quick too. Tell us about the Jojo Biova investigation. How big is it from a personnel people standpoint? Because the state of Georgia has got quite a few million people down there. What? I don't know. 10, 12 million? I don't remember. I have no idea. But um, so the GBI has about 250 sworn law enforcement personnel. Um, and I believe as a bureau, as a total, we have 800. Um, so we have 15 regional offices. Each regional office has a uh, special agent in charge, which is essentially the supervisor, assistant special agent in charge. The minimum staffing is supposed to be five um, agents and then two crime scene. Um, so it's supposed to be. So what does it normally end up being? <laughs> I like that. Yeah. It's supposed to be. I'm supposed to have a million dollars in my bank account, but. I believe one of our regions has only three investigators right now. So you guys wow. are just, as they say down in, what is their Southern saying, Steve? Like busier in a one-armed man and a, you know, wallpaper, you know, one-armed paper hanger. Busier in a one-legged man and a butt-kicking contest. Yeah, and then our um, specialty units, like the unit I'm in now, we cover the entire state. And I think there's 12 or 13 of us that cover the entire state for 159 counties, I think it is. 10.62 million people in the state of Georgia as of 2019-2020. Uh, yeah. That's a lot of counties, too. Uh, you know, you got to cover a lot of territory. So. Let's let's kind of progress into this case that we're going to talk about here in a little bit. But um, so you're on crime scene. How long are you doing this and what kind of things do you let's do it two parts. What kind of things do you work on? What are some of the cases you work on? And then second part is how long do you do it before you move into what you're currently doing now? So I was specific to crime scene. And anytime there was a scene that GBI was requested to work, I got called out or my partner did. Um, so. Some of the cases that we worked is we had a um, dead body in the well, which was a murder. Um, I have worked suicides, jails, deaths, um, drug overdoses that turned into their animals eating them. Um, there, I've worked assaults. I've worked um, officer-involved shootings. So I have a wide for wide variety of what we got called to. Um, but the GBI is a requested agency, so the locals have to request us. Um, and usually it's for any violent felonies um, that we get called is for. Is there any kind of a case to where you can proactively go in, like say at the direction of the AG or the governor, and take over something or initiate something? Yes. So we have original jurisdiction over um, narcotics, child exploitation, gambling and elderly abuse. Oh, and I believe gangs now. Again, I believe gangs. Yeah. Not murder? No. We have to be requested in order to work a murder investigation. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, Because I, I know a lot of them, you know, like you say, it's you have to, you know, uh, e either you're an assisting agency or you're an initiating agency. You know, some state police now have the power to do that. They can initiate, you know, investigations. But, you know, again, it's one of those things. Everything's different with, uh, you know, depending on where you are. So, And our state agency is we have um, like Georgia State Patrol, which they specifically work traffic and accidents, and they're not a part of the Georgia Bureau investigation. So we're two separate agencies where a lot of agencies, they have the investigative and the patrols. 
Right. Like here, the Virginia State Police, uh, you've got the state police that has both the state patrol and also has the Bureau of Criminal Investigation or the Mass Mass State Police, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah, we're two separate agencies. Now, do you have, do you report under a Department of Justice or d- does every director report like directly, you know, to the head of the GBI and the head of the state patrol, do they report like directly to the governor? To the governor. So how does stuff like this, you're still relatively young, how does stuff like this not just ruin your outlook on life when you start talking about dead bodies and wells and kids and overdose deaths, which Steve and I do, we talk a lot about the issue of fentanyl and carfentanil and now uh, isonitazine, you know, protonitazine and, you know, some of these, these new zines that are coming out that are 10 times more powerful than, you know, fentanyl. How do you not just get jaded at such an early age to go, man, you know, this really the world screwed up. This screwed. It sucks. <laughs> oh, it is. It is. Um, truthfully, it's finding a balance, which we're so busy that it's hard to find the balance. But there is still good in the world, and you see it through the people that you surround yourself with. So it's it having that support and you know close friends and family that helps not be so jaded because mm-hmm. you're surrounding yourself with people who you know, do right and aren't involved in this. Um, but then it's also the flip side of you do become more protective. And especially when you have kids, um, you are, you're constantly watching what they're doing or who they're hanging around with. Um, and you definitely are always aware of your surroundings. So you slightly become jaded and it definitely takes a lot more for myself. And I know a lot of other people to, feel comfortable with, you know, like a new person coming into my circle. Um, it's definitely a different experience. <laughs> so, so somebody moves into the door next door, I don't know, would you be running license tags to see what you can find out? <laughs> things like that. Because you know you that do. That would be a violation of policy. But I would say I have a parking complaint. An officer, would you run that tag and let me know? Uh, uh, we all do that. No, I actually um, – the neighborhood I, I've recently just moved, but the neighborhood I moved into, there's a cop and I work very closely with some of the people here. And I'm like, hey, what's this area like? Is this a good area? Is the school pretty good? What's the oh, yeah. crime? <laughs> you know, am, is this a okay spot for me to be? So I just found out that my wife and I just moved to Orlando a couple of months ago or several weeks ago. And I just found out uh, two guys across the street, one's retired HSI and one's still active HSI. So they will become friends very quickly. Yeah, very, well, there's an old T-shirt, too, that's funny. When you're in the cop business, you get it. Well, there's this thing called NCIC, the National Crime Information Center, and that's where you put your wanted people and your stolen people and the terrorist files and stuff like that. So there's a T-shirt that says, in God we trust, all others we run NCIC. It's like, <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> we monitor. Yeah, yeah, we monitor. Yeah, you know, trust but verify. No, it's verify than trust. So how long are you in the crime scene unit before the opportunity with the child exploitation unit comes up? So July 2014 is when I was um, transferred into the child exploitation unit. Now, was that on request? Is that something you had put in for and requested? I did. Um, During my crime scene time, um, I had gotten married and inherited an awesome stepson during that time. Um, Did you say awful or awesome stepson? Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) I couldn't tell with that Georgia accent. You got to watch him, Trish. He's always trying to stir the pot. No, I loved being a bonus mom. It was awesome. It was like the best time ever. Um, And truthfully, on Christmas, um, 
we got a call or Christmas Eve. I was having Christmas Eve at my house. My parents had come in town. I literally was putting the turkey in the oven and I get a call that says, there's a dead guy in the woods frozen. And I was like, I'm going to be gone for a long time. That's never, and he's naked. I was like, that's never going to be a good thing. Um, and as I was walking out the door, I remember him looking at me and saying, are you going to be back in time for Santa? And I was like, yes, God, I hope I am. <laughs> um, and truthfully, that was very um, eye-opening for me because I, I'm very family-oriented. I'm very close with my family, um, and I'm, I don't like missing special things with family um, because memories are the most important thing to me. I'm not a materialistic I don't do materials. Um, I'm all about the memories. So that was slightly heartbreaking. Um, and then I missed his birthday that following year in 2014. Um, we pulled up to his birthday and we got called to two dead people, um, possible overdose about two and a half hours away from where I was. And I was like, going to work. Um, and so I wanted to have kids on my own. And I knew being crime scene and having a kid, you know, I wasn't in processing evidence. I wanted to make sure that, you know, I took all the precautions to have a healthy, healthy child. And I know chemicals and stuff, you never know what you're dealing with. So, um, I had requested to go to the child exploitation and computer crimes unit. Um, number one, I love working with kids and I figured, you know, that maybe this is a good point for me to start working that way. And when I got told I'm going, I could not be more ecstatic. You know, and for our, our listeners, that's one of the most important fields I think there are in law enforcement because we have a responsibility just as a as a society to, to look after our children, right? We all need to be responsible for looking after them. But what you're getting ready to tell us about is something that I personally I would have had a real problem doing. Uh, I don't think that emotionally I could have handled that. I think my... Uh, I think I'd probably ended up doing what we'd all like to do against people that commit crimes against children, and I would have probably been in so much trouble. Murph, I got a name of a good defense lawyer for you if you ever need it. Well, it's, you know, and, and fortunately, the good Lord did not put me in that position. Like, you know, but God bless you for being willing to go in there because we need people like you that can handle that emotionally as well as, you know, do a good, thorough job. So let's get into talking about this. I will say being in this unit, or go, coming into this unit, we tell them all the time, hey, make sure you're prepared. And this is not like any other unit. The things you see, the things you deal with, they're, it's You can't unsee like them. Have, Once you see you something, unsee you cannot unsee it. Hey, before we get into this last part, final thing on your times on crime scene, what's, if you remember, what's one of the longest times you were ever away from home, you know, when you got called out? Because a lot of times, you know, I'd get called out, like say on a homicide, it might be three days before I, you know, got home again or saw your bed. What's, what do you remember being one of the longest times you were gone? Truthfully, one of the longest times was when I was an intern. We had, um, I believe it was all in one night or within two days of each other. We had a missing child. We had a murder. Um, and then we had a missing female and I was gone hmm, maybe a week. And with my internship, that wasn't necessarily allowed. So I went home and slept for a few hours. Then I came back <laughs> and then I went home and slept for a few hours and I came back um, because we were regulated on how often we could. <clears throat> but during the time I was um, a crime scene specialist, I believe it was four or five days. Did you have your go bag and everything ready to go? Did you learn how to pack a good go bag? 
Oh, yes. What is the most important item in your go bag? Probably a change of clothes. Which is a tactful way of saying you better have clean underwear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Because if you're a guy, you can only turn that inside out a couple times before it's like, yeah, this one needs to go. This is part of the crime scene here. This is a crime scene. And truthfully, every time you go to a hotel, because, you know, we could usually they let you go home or sleep in a hotel for an hour or so if you've been out for 24 hours or longer, because you obviously have to keep a sound mind. Um they always provided shampoo and conditioner and soap, so you just needed to change clothes. <laughs> change clothes. All right, so let's get into the good stuff now. So you get you get moved to the child exploitation. Tell us about this because, you know, there was a time, and, and I got kidded about this too, and I know Murph did, but I started teaching computer crime investigation. Actually, I went through my first computer crime course back in 93, and I started teaching it in 95 and 96. And a lot of people used to look at you like, you guys are kind of weird, but you could see the progression of it go over as the internet became more important, as, as you started seeing the child pornography cases, the internet crimes against children task force and stuff. Now, everything is so mobile-centric now. But, I mean, it, name any more, when you look at things, name one crime scene anymore that doesn't involve some kind of a digital device. There isn't. Everything is revolves around this thing, cell phone. Everything. Yeah. I mean, you don't even need a computer anymore, so that's kind of overrated. It's more like everything's at your fingertips with a cell phone. Everybody's got a cell phone. I mean, kids, my daughter's age. <laughs> and that's where the pictures are. That's where the movies are. That's where the documents are and stuff like that. So let's talk about getting into the uh, the unit. Tell us about the unit. So I cannot say enough good things about my unit. I know that sounds so crazy, but my unit is absolutely um the best. We have um, a s- supervisor. We just had a new change in supervisors. We used to have um, Debbie Gardner, who now works for um, Grayke, I believe, or Grayshift. Um, but now we have Brian Johnston. He's amazing. He was great. He was actually my ASAC when I first came to the unit, <clears throat> and then he promoted up um, to be our SAC. Um, we have two ASACs, which is the special, uh, assistant special agent in charge. That's Lindsay and Tony. They're great. Um, our unit is more of a family than like a hierarchy. Um, so it's very nice that everybody has each other's backs. And um, with us being based all around the state, um, it helps that we're all very close, that if I need something or um, – I get a case in another jurisdiction, I know I can call on them. It's the best unit ever. <laughs> so tell what is the mission of the unit? Um, so our mission is to investigate um, internet crimes against children. We run the ICAC task force, which is the internet crimes against children task force. Um, we're the commanding agency for all the counties. We do have affiliates who assist us and we receive reports in reference to individuals um, so tell, uh, before you gloss over that, affiliates, define affiliates, because I think of affiliates like an affiliate, you know, TV station, but when you say affiliates, what do you mean by that? So when I say an affiliate, it's a local jurisdiction who has signed to be a part of the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. Um, so if we get a case in their jurisdiction, they are willing to take the case um, and assist us, because right now we are on track to get approximately 16,000 cyber tips by the end of the year. And that means well, we have to— Well, what are you going to do in your free time? 
no, we don't. <laughs> um, even when we're on leave, we still get cases constantly. Like last week when I was on vacation, um, when I got back, I was signed, I believe, like two cases. So let's let's rewind a little bit. When you first started getting into the unit, let's talk about the progression of these tips and where these tips come from, because this is what factors into the case. This is how your case starts off that we're going to talk about today. What kind of, you know, when you first got into the unit, how many tips a year were you getting? So I have numbers back from 2016, um, and we were getting about 3,000 a year. 2017, we got almost 5,000. 2018, we got 6,500. 2019, we got 7,000. 2020, we got almost 12,000. And um, last year, we received over 11,000. Wow. What has in, what has contributed to this increase in reporting? Is it better awareness? Is it, um, you know, more people? Is it, I mean, are more crimes occurring or is it just better awareness and people reporting more of the crimes that are already out there? Or is it these jackasses thinking that there's so much anonymity involved with, with cyber that nobody's going to catch them? And COVID too, yeah. So COVID, everyone's at home. Um, also, there's a lot more... Um, applications that are out. And if they're based in the U.S., they're mandated reporters. So if anything comes across their servers, they have to report it, which it then gets reported to the National Center for Missing Exploited Children. Um, I think that people think that they can hide behind the computer screen. Um, they can create fake emails. They can create, you know, get other phone numbers and that they'll go undetected from law enforcement. But that's not the case. Well, we want them to believe that's the case. Keep doing that, guys, because it makes it yes. easy to catch you, right? <laughs> Yes. Well, I mean, even we recently got a case where someone was using VPNs and obviously a lot of people think VPNs, you know, you can get undetected. Well, we were actually able to identify them and we're passing the case on. So, and for the folks listening, for our players out there, VPN is a virtual private network. It creates this encrypted tunnel between where you're at. And a lot of people do it to try and go through different countries, like through Japan and then mm -hmm. Norway and stuff thinking, but look, the internet has a return address, you know, so uh, eventually they will find you. Hey, before we dive into this case, this is kind of a sideline, but you hear this come up all the time when we start talking about the apps that are out there, because it used to be Kick was a bad app. Then, um, you know, you had some other ones too that were just contributed to teen suicide, to cyberbullying and stuff. In your experience, what are some of the top three to five apps that either shouldn't be out there or parents, if it's on their kid's phone, need to absolutely be aware of them? Discord, um, which is a gaming app. Yeah. Um, that, that's a huge one that we're getting right now. Um, WhatsApp is pretty big. Um, Kick is still pretty big. Snapchat. Um, people think everything disappears on Snapchat, but it's still there. Now, so, so we all use WhatsApp. What's not not me? Uh, is it because it's end to end, -to -end encryption? Yeah, they they with the end to end encryption they use that, um, but also they're using it a lot to trade child pornography within groups. Yeah, I quit. I quit oh, using geez. WhatsApp when Zuckerberg bought it, and they started talking about how they were going to monetize it, which means that they're going to get into your conversation. So a lot of people went to Telegram and Signal, but that's the whole thing: is you create these groups. If it's encrypted, it's very hard to see what's going on. Um, what about TikTok? Right. Um, so truthfully, I've not gotten many um, cases involving TikTok. I do know um, right now that the National Center. Um, for missing exploited children is, you know, seeing stuff through OnlyFans is kind of yeah. more of the side. Um, I do know that I do have a TikTok, 
Um, and I will say that these kids who are on there who are, you know, not old enough to drive a car, not old enough to manage their finances, need to get off TikTok. They're providing so much information to these predators out there by their names or they're showing the things that they're interested in or their different cheerleading costumes. And it's so easy for the predator to search Google and find out where they're located in order to make contact with them. And not to mention the fact TikTok is owned by ByteDance, which is part of Tencent, which guess what? Originates from the Communist Chinese Party in China. So yeah. Yes, anyway, it does. Yes, it does. I actually, I'll tell you, they tried to get me to come over to China to speak for at a Tencent conference. I'm like, yeah, I know what you're scam is. You get them over there, they hold you up. There's always a problem with your visa, and then the Chinese keep you there because the Chinese Communist Party doesn't like me. That's another episode. Let's get back to you, Tricia. So There's a lot more than them that don't now, like I can count Morgan, on one, that's a whole other topic. I can topic. count on one hand the number of people who don't truly like me. No, <laughs> no sorry. So let, let's get back into this. So Because let me tell you, one of the things that we found out too when we started teaching guys that got involved in this, and girls, I say guys collectively, is that the impact of seeing these images have on you when you first saw what was really going on out there. That's like, if the public only knew, how did you react when you started seeing some of these things that started coming across your desk and the images, you know, in the videos and stuff like that? I quickly learned to turn the sound off that, um, that's probably absolutely the hardest part is hearing the sound. But when they come across, you have to learn to, you know, put it kind of in the back of your mind and be like, okay, it's not happening now. Or you have to kind of lie to yourself about, Hey, this isn't happening now. Let's find this person or let's identify this child. Let's get this child out of this, um, situation as fast as we can. And I think that's one of the toughest things about the job is we get so many cases so quickly. Um, and we're only one person working our, the case that gets assigned to us, Um, and we can't work seven cases all in one day. It takes time. We have to do the legal process. We have to do it appropriate where people think that we can just go out and arrest this person based on this information. We can't, we have to do our background information. We have to find out where they're located, what they're, um, if they had got a criminal history, do they have kids? Do they have access to children? Um, we have to know all that before going in. Um, now we try to work it as fast as we can if, if we're able to show it exigency. Um, but it is very difficult to view these images. I think the most difficult images for me right now are the scene images or videos of children that are the same age as my child. Mm. You know, and, and not to distract from our topic right here, but I mean, this is associated with our topic. I'm reading off of the uh, Center for Missing and Exploited Children's website. And this just grabs your attention to tell you how big this issue is. Our cyber tip line at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has surpassed, has surpassed a dawning new milestone, 100 million reports of suspected child sexual exploitation, nearly all related to the images and videos of children being sexually abused that are, that are circulating on the Internet, with some even being live streamed. That's how big this freaking problem is. You know, and, and we're talking to Tricia here who, you know, GBI is trying to keep up with the floodgate blowing open with very few, exactly, very few investigators. So that's what makes this so freaking important. 
16 for the whole state of Georgia. What would we say? Almost 11 million people. How many do we need? <laughs> no, no. If, if, if you could fully staff, how many would you, I mean, no, you don't have the budget for it. Everything's driven by budget, but how many, how many investigators do you have and how many do you need actually to investigate these at the rate that you'd like to investigate them? I would say we need at least 40 to 50 agents. And the reason I say that is we need to be able to work a small amount of counties. So if we could have one agent per three counties or one agent per four or five counties, I feel like we would be able to, you know, expedite this process and be able to get things done. But the problem is, is we're constantly prioritizing our cases as they come in, where if we see, you know, if we don't see a connection or we can't make, you know, who the sub subject is right away. But yeah, I get another case where I see, okay, this person just by doing a, you know, social media search, they have children that gets expedited. And I, my main focus on, on that case. And then my other cases get deprioritized. Well, then another case comes in and I'm constantly flip-flopping and reprioritizing as the information comes in. And it's just, we, it's just unrealistic. And I believe right now it's like trying to juggle 10, it's like trying to juggle 10 balls and then they throw another one into the mix, you know, and people it's, you have to look at it, go, but you just hit upon a key thing. You have to prioritize somebody whose life is in immediate danger takes priority over a case where that's not. And some people say, why aren't you doing this? It's like, at the end of the day, you've got to make these tough decisions, right? It's like, which one, based on your training and experience, is a, an immediate threat to human life that has to be dealt with, right, versus others that are uh, appear to be abuse but not uh, a threat to human life at that point? And then the, pro the biggest thing that we deal with and the hardest thing that we deal with is, for example, that one case that was that one video or that one image and, you know, we couldn't make a full connection. Well, when we get intel back, we see that it's actually you know, the dad blessing the child because we didn't have that identification right out the bat, whether they were using like a fake email. Obviously we're like, oh my God, that sat for, I don't know, six months or two months, three months, whatever it is. And now we could have prevented that child from being abused, but we're only, we're one person. And I will tell you that I, one of the biggest hurdles that we run into is I don't necessarily always have cases in my area. Um, right now I have cases as far as an hour and a half, two hours away from where I live. So scheduling all of that, getting down there, driving. Um, yeah, because if it takes two hours to get down there, it takes two hours to get back. That's four hours already out of a day before you've even had the chance to put leather on the street and interview people and do follow-ups. And heaven forbid you get... You get a you get a a, a report of a, an assault taking place, and you're you, get, you just can't get there. Holy cow! It's you know, and, and when you're saying forty to fifty more investigators, how many tips did you get this year? Last year, twelve thousand, eleven thousand, twelve thousand. Mm -hmm. This year should be sixteen. So it's not like you're when you, saying forty or fifty investigators is not being outrageously excessive. It's really being conservative, to be quite honest about it, because there's so many potentials out there. And in reality, right now, I think one other problem is the legal process. I mean, with all these tips coming in, we're bombarding our Intel analysts. So I send them Intel for one person who I have linked with the account or the Internet. But in that house, there's four other people that live there that could be a possible sub subject or victim. So I need Intel on them and then sending legal process to Facebook, Snapchat, 
you know, their turnaround time. They're getting it from 50 different states, you know, and they're only one person, too, working as fast as they can. You know, some legal process takes six months to get back, and we're trying to make a connection every time with a case. You're being very nice to the social media sites also right there because they're the ones creating the platform for all this shit to happen. And I got no, I have no sympathy for them whatsoever. They need to pony up. And then you know what some of them bastards want to do, Steve? They want to charge you for the legal process in some places. And it's like, no, oh, yeah. I don't think so. You know, there was a time. Yeah. One thing I wish that they would do is you're making the report that there's contraband on your site. Why don't you just give us all the information up front so we can actually move forward as soon as we get that tip. It's getting with a judge, going to that jurisdiction, and then sending it off, and then waiting six months at least to get the information back. We're like, it's a never-ending door. <laughs> and the whole time, the, the, child is be, the child is being exploited during that whole waiting process. Hey, players, that was the end of part one. Stay tuned for part two coming out Thursday. More of Special Agent Trisha Cannon and her three-year internet investigation. In the meantime, head on over to GameOfCrimesPodcast.com, our website. We've got a lot of good information there, especially pictures that always go with the episodes. Join us on the social medias, at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Instagram. But more importantly, head on over to patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. And remember, when this is coming out, December 22nd, we will be having a live stream. We're giving a free Patreon gift this month. Murph and I, we are just feeling so generous. We're going to do our live stream narcometer review of the greatest Christmas movie ever made, Die Hard. That's going to be December 22nd at 8 p.m. Eastern time. You can find it over at facebook.com slash Game of Crimes podcast. We'll be doing a live stream. So until then, everybody stay tuned, hang tight, and part two is coming up. Mm -hmm.